Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. When we do not at first see the fulfillment of God's promises, it is usually because God means to fulfill them in a better way than we could imagine. Let me say that again. When you, in your life, see a promise from God and say, I don't see this, Lord, it's usually because God himself says, oh, I am going to keep that promise but in a better way than you can imagine. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Can you see clearly? Have you had your eyes checked lately? As Pastor Ricky teaches today, you'll learn that just as we take care of our physical eyesight, sometimes we feel our spiritual eyes might also need an adjustment. Trusting Christ when you can't see very well is the answer. Pastor Ricky reminds us that it's usually because God intends to fulfill your promises in a better way than you could ever imagine, something beyond what you could even envision. Now that's a better way to see. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Luke, chapter 2. As he continues his message, Christ was born for you, born for the forgotten. In some ways, this journey and this city are emblematic of all of the, you know, sort of the unfulfilled promises given to Israel. Remember that God told David, he told David, somebody from your family will sit on the throne forever, right? That's kind of the promise that hangs over the house of David. And what we see in Luke 2 is a small, struggling, broken descendant of King David goes to a backwater town, and that's the glorious return, right? It seems as though that promise would be unfulfilled, and it was unfulfilled. Maybe today, maybe this year you felt that there have been unfulfilled promises from God, promises for God to do something or to watch you or shepherd you or be with you or walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, and, and you feel like, man, I, I just, I don't see it. It seems unfulfilled. And last... It appears that Mary and Joseph are cast down. By all earthly accounts, they are cast down, not only economically, not only sort of in terms of power, but also even in terms of basic social standing and shame, right? It says in verse five that Joseph was to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, right? So, so here's what would eventually spread through the small town of Bethlehem. Is as people are, you know, are coming in for the census, I'm sure people are saying, oh, who's that? You know, oh, wow, that person looks like they've done well for themselves. Oh, that's so, you know, Simeon's cousins. Or this person, oh, yeah, that, that's my second cousin. It seems like he's got a great business or, or he's advancing socially. And, and who are those people? Oh, that's, that's Joseph. Do you know the story about him, his well, the girl he was betrothed to got pregnant. So we don't know if it was Joseph. We don't know if she was unfaithful, whatever it is. And you see the whispers begin to start about them, right? Even socially, it seems as though they're cast down, cast away from polite society. This text is true of Mary and Joseph, but if you back up and look at sort of the Bible as a whole, this is also the situation of humanity as a whole. Humanity because of our choice to turn away from God, um, have, we found ourselves 
cast down. We found so many of the, the, the purposes we were made for to be unfulfilled. We seem to be pushed and pulled by all these forces around us, but, but we've chosen to give ourselves to them instead of to God, right? And, and as a result, humanity has sort of this deep long is that we, we feel what we fear most been forgotten. We will be forgotten. The irony is that we, we feel what we fear most in our heart of hearts is being forgotten by God. But in sin, what we do is we turn away from God and then we fear, oh, God has forgotten me, right? This is a position all humanity is in. Just it, Joseph is, and his line and his house, the house of David are sort of an illustration of this where they, for years and years, ruler after ruler turned away from God, went away from God. And then later, who are wondering, oh, where is God, right? It seems as though he's been forgotten. The house of David's been forgotten. Perhaps even that humanity has been forgotten, but that is not the case. One, one note from Kent Hughes, one of the commentators on this, he says, no child born into the world that day seemed to have lower prospects. The son of God was born into the world, not as a prince, but as a pauper, we must never forget that this is where Christianity began and where it always begins, with a sense of need, a graced sense of one's insufficiency. Christ himself, setting the example, comes to the needy. He is born only to those who are poor in spirit. You see what Kent Hughes is saying? He's saying, listen, if you feel, if you feel lowly or forgotten or cast out or needy, that's the perfect place then to receive the good news of Christmas. So what is the good news of Christmas? The good news of Christmas is that far from what it appears that we've been forgotten or Mary and Joseph have been forgotten, the good news is that this account actually reinforces perhaps more than any other that God remembers his people. And let's break down how that works. How does this text illustrate that God remembers his people? Well, I want you to flip back one page. Because see, God gave Mary and Joseph to some extent a divine perspective on the events that are, that are taking place here. And Luke preloads it. He includes this divine perspective before the account of Jesus. And when we see it, it changes the way that we see everything. Luke 1, this is Mary's song, the God-given perspective she has on, on these events. 146, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And you think, what? how is that possible, right? You're this poor, shamed girl. Here, she's gonna tell you. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. When you take her perspective and overlay it onto Luke chapters two, you begin to see everything in a different light. The first thing you see is that far from being pushed and pulled by forces outside of them, they are held in this story, absolutely held by the hands of God. Look at how 
active God is in Mary's song, how active God is in the events of the incarnation and birth of Christ. These are just some of the phrases that we just read. He has looked. He has done great things. He has shown. He has scattered. He has exalted. He has brought down. He has filled. He has sent as he spoke. See, what's happening is far from this this chain of events being out of control, this is God controlling the events around them. Where they might think, well, Caesar is the one pushing and pulling us. Well, there is one above Caesar pushing and pulling him, right? According to the divine plan, lining everything up as it should be. You might think, well, why in the world would this poor pregnant girl be forced to travel so far from her homeland? Well, that travel to Bethlehem was a fulfillment of God's prophecy about where Jesus would be born and a foreshadowing that he would be like his forefather David and even greater David. And the humble nature of his birth was signifying what kind of savior he would be. Not a a savior only associated with the powerful and the rich, but rather the gentle and the lowly and the humble. In fact, even this long road that Mary and Joseph traveled was probably built by Caesar. And those same Roman roads built by Caesar that he was so proud of that he felt like he had such great control of his empire, God would use those very roads to carry the announcement of the advent, the arrival of God into this world, and the good news of Jesus. You see, far from this being out of control, this is firmly in the control of God. God was the one watching them, holding them, sovereignly orchestrating these events. You know, a few weeks back, I had some guys over in my backyard, and we were tossing around the question, what have you learned this year? And it actually kind of turned into a retelling of what God has done in our lives. And where it often seems like, man, this situation was terrible, that situation was terrible. One guy just shared, you know what? I would have never expected this, but I needed a season of rest. I needed a season with my family, and God used this to give that to me. Another person shared, you know what, I've been struggling with trusting God, and man, this has really, really forced me to trust God this year. So when I prayed that at the beginning of the year, the Lord was like, I got you. Right? Another person shared, it's helped them step back and think about their future and where their life is going. And you just see the hands of God in a hundred ways, holding his people, guiding his people, sustaining his people. I believe we will not just see a record of tragedy. We will, with divine perspective, learn to see a record of God's faithfulness that God has sustained us and held us even through this. That's what it reveals. Second thing it reveals, God regarded. God regarded. Mary sings in verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So far from being disregarded and this birth in this middle of nowhere town without adequate medical supervision or help, that actually was God regarding his people. Mary says, this is God regarding me, looking at me, actually seeing me. Think about what this says about God, that the mother of the son of God, the one that would bear God's son, was not the richest girl in Jerusalem, not the most powerful, not the one in the palace, but this sort of poor, unknown young woman that everybody else overlooked, the Lord saw her. What does that say about God? It says that God's eyes do not just land where our eyes land. 
right? They don't just stop at the rich, the powerful, the beautiful, the charming, the whatever, the successful. The eyes of the Lord are looking out to the lowly, to the forgotten, to the disregarded, and he comes to them. This is absolutely unreal. Nobody regards us. Nobody wants us. Nobody even sees us. And the birth of Christ is perhaps one of the loudest statements that could be made that God goes to the disregarded and regards them. Isn't that good news? We don't see in the end a lack of fulfillment of God's promises. We actually see in Luke 2 the very fulfillment of God's promises, right? As you could be forgiven for thinking, man, the house of David has fallen pretty far and it looks like it's going to be impossible for God to keep that promise that a king from the house of David would reign eternally. Man, this, this is the descendant of David, this broken kid carpenter with a pregnant wife. Like this is, you know, where's the glory of the house of David? And I love Luke right after this. We don't have time to get into this, but right after this, as if to undercut those thoughts, he shares the story of a legion of angels appearing on a hillside to these shepherds nearby. And you think, man, if you're gonna make a royal announcement, uh, you're gonna find the palace guards. You're gonna get the town crier. You're gonna get the fancy people. You're gonna assemble them. You're gonna make an announcement. Hey, the king has been born. This is what Caesar would do when a new uh, Caesar was appointed. There'd be proclamations and rejoicing, and it would be like, everybody must rejoice now because, you know, we have a new Caesar, and you're going to enjoy it and smile. Like that's, you know, and Roman guards are making you do it, right? And you think, okay, that's the best Caesar could do. This is what God could do. He doesn't just use, you know, the town crier or the royal musicians to announce the birth of his son. He uses a legion of gleaming, terrifying, dazzling angels screaming out glory to God in the highest, right? The, the, the greatest Davidic king, you could say the Davidic king, was announced in a way that points to how he would not just be another king in the line of David, he would be the king in the line of David. In a sense, David, the humble king who ascended to heights of kingly greatness, man, Jesus has got him beat. He was, he was far more humble, and yet his identity far greater than David, the king. Here's the, here's the point. Do you think sometimes, oh, well, God's promises have not been fulfilled. I don't see it being fulfilled. And if I don't see it being fulfilled, it must not be being fulfilled. Luke 2 reminds us, when we do not at first see the fulfillment of God's promises, it is usually because God means to fulfill them in a better way than we could imagine. Let me say that again. When you, in your life, see a promise from God and say, I don't see this, Lord, it's usually because God himself says, oh, I am going to keep that promise, but in a better way than you can imagine. Just the way that Joseph experienced, oh, Joseph, I'm not just going to keep my promise to your family. I'm going to keep it in a greater way than you can imagine. Look, Joseph's family was hoping for another king in Jerusalem, but God gave them the king of all creation. Joseph's family was hoping for a warrior like David to defeat the Romans, but God gave them a warrior to defeat their greater enemies of sin and death. Joseph's family hoped for a wise and just ruler like Solomon. God 
gave them the wisest and most just and perfect ruler far greater than Solomon. They hoped for a, another small Davidic dynasty that they could put into the history books. God gave them a king who would reign forever, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's when he says, do you see me fulfilling my promise? Last, where we see perhaps Mary and Joseph cast down in the eyes of God, we see them actually in this moment lifted into honor. Mary sings in verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. I see what Mary is saying. She's saying this. Do you know who the son of God has come to? <laughs> not the rich, not the powerful, not the mighty, not the full, but God himself has come to the needy and the poor and the hungry in me. And, and Mary sees herself as a divine illustration of God's dealings with his people. This is the way of God. This is what God does. He looks to the cast down and he lifts them up. So, so far from this being a moment of shame for Mary and Joseph, I think based on Luke 1, when the time came and she saw Jesus for the first time, she rejoiced, saying, the King of kings, the Lord of lords was born to us, nobodies, people who are disregarded by everyone, not to Herod, not to Caesar, us. We have this honor that we are holding the Son of God in our arms. This is the way that God deals with his people. And all of this, here's what I'm trying to say, all of this is an illustration of this, fact, of this truth that it may appear at times that God has forgotten his people, but look just a little closer and you will see signs everywhere of the truth that God always remembers his people. In the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, there are a lot of stressful moments, Right? And I hate going through all the stressful moments. And every time I watch the movie, it doesn't matter how many times I've seen the movie, I end up on the same stomach pain, anxiety-inducing journey that I've been on the year before. And I look over at my dad, and you know what my dad is doing? Like, when Uncle Billy loses the money, the most stressful scene in movie history, you're like, Uncle Billy, what are you doing, right? And, and I look over at my dad. Do you know what my dad's doing? He's just smiling. And I'm, I'm like, what, what, what's wrong with you, dad? You know, and then I finally figured it out. Do you know why he's smiling? Because he's seen this movie before. <laughs> and he knows that in just a few minutes, these angry town people that seem like they've forgotten George and his family will come parading through and saving his business and his whole living room. This guy that feels forgotten and isolated and alone in just a half hour, my dad knows, it's gonna be filled with people singing, rejoicing, throwing money on the table, phone calls from people that he assumed had forgotten him, right? His, his life will be full and this statement of him surrounded by his family and friends that he is not 
not forgotten will ring out as the credits roll. And my dad already knows that. So he smiles through the first part of the movie, knowing what is coming. That is what Advent is for the Christian. That when we get to times in our lives that we feel forgotten or alone or disgraced or cast down, we remember we've seen this movie before. <laughs> we've seen this movie before. I, I, oh, yeah, I've seen this one before. Uh, the people that seem disgraced and forgotten and God didn't fulfill his promises, in fact, he did it far better than they could have imagined. And, and here's, here's the greatest proof. The greatest proof is not just that God would come from heaven to earth in remembrance of his people. It's, it's also in the mission of that child and why he came from heaven to earth. See, God didn't send Jesus as just a nice gesture. This is not just, oh, I remember you. I'm gonna come down and walk around you know, for a little bit so you can think, oh, well, God didn't forget us. And then Jesus goes home. No, this child came on a mission. This king of kings came on a mission. And he came to lay aside his crown and take on the burden of sin and shame and guilt and failure from his people. That is the reason that they were cast away from God. That's the reason they were disgraced. That's the reason that they were far off from God. So God sent his son to come and take all of their sin, all of their shame on him. So that what? So that he, by being cast down, could lift up his people people, so that he, by being disgraced, would bring honor to his people, so that he, who appeared at times, but maybe God would not fulfill his promise, would fulfill every promise made to his people. This is the Savior we celebrate every Christmas, and yet we wait. Perhaps 2020, more than any other year, reminds us that we wait. As we have said goodbye to dear members of the church, and we wait. As we watch people struggle with sickness or financial difficulty or loneliness, we wait. But Advent reminds us we've seen this movie before. And at just the right time, the one who came to the manger will come back for us all. That's what we celebrate this Christmas church. And so as a testimony of that, if you don't know that or believe that, or if that is not true for you, believe on Christ today. If you feel forgotten, believe on Christ and find in him a God who never forgets his people. But you must come to him. You must come to the manger. You must be willing to come to the child who at first appears like a failure and see him as the triumph of God for you. Confess your sins, claim him as king, and you will never be forgotten. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. When the angels announced Christ's birth to the shepherds, they said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Here at Better News Radio, we're bringing you the same message today. 
Christ was born for you. Why is that such great news? Because he's the Savior who died and rose again. And in doing so, he took away the sins of the world. He took away your sin. All you need to do is believe in him and turn and follow him. If you made that decision today, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email at radio at crossofgraceradio.com. Once again, that's radio at crossofgraceradio.com. We want to be praying for you as you branch out into your new life. And if you're not sure yet about making that decision, then head on over to our website, betternewsradio.com, where you'll find the Better News book, a short free book that asks all the questions you're dealing with right now. That website again is betternewsradio.com. We're so glad that you decided to join us here today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcanta. Better News Radio is a ministry out of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. You'll find all sorts of information about our church, including service times and location at our website. We'd love to have you come join us if you're in the area. Once again, that website is betternewsradio.com. Thanks again for joining us here today. We'll be back next time with all of the good news right here on Better News Radio. Oh, and Merry Christmas.